There are five and a half million jobs open in America, and it's time to get to work. At ExpressPros.com, you can apply for a new job today. Apply now at ExpressPros.com for skilled labor jobs like drivers, forklift operators, welders, and programmers, as well as administrative jobs, customer service, and accounting positions. Express also hires for positions in the medical industry, such as billing, coding, data entry, and record keeping. Each Express office is locally owned and operated and is invested in the success of their community. And 75% of the people who have a job are open to a new job or actively looking for a new job. With more than 770 Express locations, you'll find the nearest one at ExpressPros.com. There are no fees for job seekers, and with one application, you apply for a variety of top jobs in your community. Express takes pride in connecting the right people with the right company. Go to ExpressPros.com. That's ExpressPros.com. Now here's a highlight from Coast to Coast AM on iHeartRadio. Tell me about America Stonehenge, and how does it compare to the one in the United Kingdom? Yeah, um... Uh, it's very similar functionally to the one in the United Kingdom because Stonehenge is so well known. It's a World Heritage Site, and they get about a million visitors. Uh, but our site functions very similar astronomically. Its form is quite different. We have a lot of stone structures that you can walk into, but we do have a circle of standing stones outside the main site. Main site's about one acre with all the stone chambers and very very interesting features. But on the outside, about 500, 600, 700 feet away, are these standing stones. And they do mock astronomical events, just like Stonehenge does. And I think, I'm not sure if all your listeners, you know, are, uh, have followed astro- uh, megalithic sites, but uh, there are about 50,000 of them in Western Europe. So Stonehenge is the most famous, but it's not the oldest nor the biggest, you know, mega- megalithic site in the world, you know. So, but it is very, very similar to that in its function, though, the mm-hmm. sun, moon, and star alignments. And with these alignments, what do you think they were trying to accomplish, Dennis? Well, I think they're attracting the heavens. They probably thought of the uh, different celestial objects like as gods, goddesses. But on a practical note, they, early in time when they're hunter-gatherers, they wanted to keep track of migrations of animals, you know, fish, birds, uh, and uh, land animals, of course. And then later on when agriculture uh, began, they wanted to know when to plant the seed, when to harvest the seed. And it would have these big, big celebrations. And they could watch the sunrise and set, moonrise and set, and also star alignments, and this would kind of give them an idea what time of the year it was, and it gave them a great reason to celebrate. And so our site does that, actually. We do have the, uh, and they're pretty neat when you see the hmm. sun rising and setting over a particular upright stone. It's kind of a neat experience. Are you in the inside of the structure, in the middle, or on the outside? What are, how, do they, how do they work it? Yeah, this, uh, our site has the alignment stones, so you have a foresight and a backsight. And you're actually standing near the center of the main, what we call the main site. It's about one acre of stone ruins. And in the 1970s, we began surveying the uh, walls that surround the site. We have 110 acres total. And we were surveying the upright stones. And we needed to do that in order to have an accurate map of these, these stones to determine whether we had alignments with the sun, moon, and stars, you know, to actually kind of prove that. And so the Astronomical Center was located and we know in the 1930s the first researcher, a gentleman named William B. Goodwin from Hartford, Connecticut, uh, he was an insurance millionaire, and he was very, very interested in the past. He was interested in Vikings, Irish called the monks. Uh, where did Christopher Columbus land on his first of his four voyages? And he wrote several books. Well, he bought the land, and um, unfortunately during some of the restoration, he actually destroyed back in the late 1930s 
the astronomical center of the site. It consisted of two large piles of rocks we call cairns, and these marked the astronomical center, as we found out during the survey in the 1970s. But fortunately, he had a professional photographer, and they took pictures of the uh, of these two structures that are no longer there. And he also mapped them. He had a gentleman from MIT, an engineer, who actually did uh, profile and plan views of the site. And these two structures are in some of the diagrams. So 40 years after he destroyed them, we said, aha. And... You know, he, he destroyed, which is really unfortunate, but we did find, he, he did find out once he removed them, and he used those stones for restoring some other structures uh, adjacent to that, which is really too bad. But he found where the, what we call the sacrificial table was actually quarried out of the bedrock. So that's one thing he did find, but by doing so, he actually destroyed the astronomical center. So you stand in the center of the site, and you look out to the horizon, you see these stones, and these stones also align with the horizon features. These are the hills in the far distant, like five, six miles away, and they have like little natural notches, dips, and little valleys. And they actually placed these marker stones to actually align with that. And they did that in hmm. European sites, like in Scotland and some of the other sites. They call them horizon features. And it makes for a more accurate alignment with the sun, moon, or stars, or sometimes Venus. People were looking at Venus, too, you know, like particularly the Mayans were doing that. Now, the, now the, the site is in New Hampshire, isn't it? Uh, yes, it is. Yep, George. It's uh, located halfway between the state capital of Boston and uh, Massachusetts and uh, Concord, New Hampshire, about 40 miles uh, uh, either way. You go to the state capital, and we're about 20 miles from the Atlantic coast. And you let people see it, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. In fact, uh, next year we're going to have our 60th anniversary. We've been open to the public. Well, that's right. Now, did you, how did you find this, Dennis? Actually, with my dad, uh, my dad's name was Robert Stone, and um, he was uh, he had just got out of the Coast Guard, and he uh, he uh, was a electromechanical kind of engineer, and he got uh, a job with AT and T Bell Laboratories back uh, around 1953, and in 1955, two years later, he was uh, doing what we're right now doing right now. He was actually uh, he was listening to a radio show, like your audience is, and this particular show was on the one of the biggest AM stations in the Northeast, out of Boston. And the name of the show was Yankee Yarns, and the talk show host was Alton Hall Blackington. And that evening on a Friday night, uh, it was all about these strange stone ruins in the next town from where my dad lived. You know, he had never heard of these uh, other huh. sites at all, and it was kind of like, wow, what is this place? You know, it really caught his attention. So that really got, got him interested, and just a few days uh, later, coincidentally, he's at a barber shop looking at a magazine that was three years old. It was a 1952 New Hampshire Profile magazine, and as he's reading it, waiting to have his hair cut, there's a story all about the same site he had heard on the radio. You know, talk about coincidences. Yeah. And that weekend, he went to my aunt and uncle's house where everybody gathered. They, I think they played cards. They might have had a couple of beers. And they're sitting around, and my dad put the magazine on the table in front of several people, you know, my aunt and uncle included, and said, anybody ever hear of this place? And my aunt and uncle looked at it for a few minutes and said, gee, we used to go there in the 1930s. We used to go up there and picnic, you know. So it was huh. kind of an unofficial place where a lot of people came because of the mysterious stone structures. You know, they'd picnic up there. They'd walk around probably collecting artifacts, too. So the next weekend, my dad, uh, the four of them came down here. I was about a year old, and they left me behind with Grandma, I think. <laughs> so uh, they, they visited the place. They found it. And after that, my uh, dad got very, very interested in, uh, you know, actually eventually purchasing, purchasing the site and opening it up to the public. Yeah, he seemed like he was really into this, just oh, yeah, for, just very, for very what you've been saying. Oh, yeah. So he worked full-time at AT&T for 30 years, but on the side, this was his love. You know, um, most of our childhood memories, my, my late sister and I would 
go with the family, went and visited some of these other ruins, uh, there are probably about 800 sites we know today in the Northeast. Some of them have some similarities to our sites. So as kids, we'd go with my mom and dad. Instead of going to maybe, you know, Disneyland, we were going to see these ancient stone ruins. And at the time, it wasn't as much fun. Today, it's a lot of fun to see these things, you know. It's, you know and, uh, but back then, as a kid, it's like, oh, no, 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 the stone, you know, chamber or something, you know. Why do they call this the hill, Dennis? Yeah, uh, the it is on a hill, and it's about 360 feet above uh, sea level. It never had a name, and then my dad named it. A, the original name was the, um, it started in 1958, and believe it or not, my dad opened this up on the summer solstice of 1958. And I, had out, I just found that out a couple of years ago, looking at his records. He had passed away seven years ago, and going through that, I said, geez, that's funny. I didn't, he, nobody ever mentioned that, you know, as a summer solstice in 1958. But the hill never had a name, so my dad opened it up as Mystery Hill Caves, and um, that is a topographical name now. It's Mystery Hill. And they ran under that name for a couple of years, and people kept thinking we were natural caves, you know, and they're actually man-made stone structures. So the word caves was dropped in 1963. But it is a big hill, actually. And, and a lot of these ancient sites throughout the world are sitting on, you know, large hills, you know, up near the heavens, kind of higher up towards the gods kind of thing. So that's not too unusual. Any idea how old the site is? Um. From the, uh, we done about, uh, we have done about 12 radiocarbon dating since 1966, and the oldest carbon dating of the main site, that one-acre area, is 4,000 years old, plus or minus about 250 years. And when we did the survey in 1973 of the astronomical alignments, and it took four years because we had to pay as we kind of pay as you go kind of thing. So the survey would come up, and over the next four years, he was surveying you know, part time up here. And by 1977, we had phase one of the survey done. That consists of all the standing stones around the site and the walls that are attached to them. And they sent that to the Harvard-Smithsonian Center for Astrophysics down in Cambridge, Massachusetts. In 1978, we get the results back, and they said that if these were used for astronomical purposes, they would work about 1800 B.C., plus or minus about 200 years. So... You know, six years later, 1971, we got that 4,000-year-old carbon dating, and then six years later, we're getting the results back from the astronomical data that about 4,000 years ago, we believe the site was constructed. Wow. <clears throat> that could be one of the oldest sites in America. Ah, uh, yeah, that's great that you said that. Yeah, we, we say it might be one of the oldest, yeah, stone ruins in, uh, in North America. That's correct, yeah. Listen to more Coast to Coast AM every weeknight at 1 a.m. Eastern and go to coasttocoastam.com for more.